You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 161. The problem with imposter syndrome is that the external world and all metrics, all measurements point to this person being exceptional at the top of their game. And yet on the inside, she can't feel that way. And that is the problem. That is the self underappreciation part of imposter syndrome. And yes, of course, you're right. It can affect anybody, but it is much more prevalent in high achieving people. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the show. So pleased to have you with us today. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, executive and mentor coach and coach educator. And we are going to do some educating today around a phenomena that I frequently see in the coaches that I work with. I've certainly experienced myself and have an incredible guest who's going to share her perspectives with us on the concepts of imposter syndrome. I've invited Dr. Jennifer Hunt to join us today because it is integral to the work that she does with women leaders in healthcare. So Jennifer had trained, supervised, and mentored hundreds of medical students, medical residents, and practicing physicians when she became aware of this unexpected prevalence of imposter syndrome like I said, among these women leaders in healthcare. So in addition to serving as the chair of pathology at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, she's also a sought-after speaker and executive coach for current and inspiring leaders in the field of medicine. So she has developed this popular leadership development program for women to address this imposter syndrome in their professional lives. It's titled Unlocking the Authentic Self. Now, Jennifer comes on the show today to share the five dysfunctions of imposter syndrome. It feeds into her passion mission to increase the number of women in leadership roles across all industries. Since imposter syndrome is a big contributor in holding talented women back, she is now speaking about this. She's bringing her experience forward and really working with women in this very popular sought after program. The thing is, is that we frequently own this imposter syndrome ourselves. So while Jennifer program focuses on women and her goal is to increase more women into leadership in healthcare, if you're a man or a woman listening right now, you're going to want to listen to what Jennifer brings forward in her five dysfunctions of imposter syndrome and her tips for overcoming those. They're powerful. We, I think, at different phases of our lives, all face these kinds of challenges. And I'm so grateful that Jennifer came to 
share this with us. Now, Jennifer is also a fan of the show, as you'll hear in the interview. After listening to episode number 63 with Ed Hennessy, she decided to pursue certification in emotional intelligence, and that's where she and I met. So let's go to our interview with Dr. Jennifer Hunt. Jennifer, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It is wonderful to see you this morning. Thank you, Meg. I'm so excited to be here with you too. Well, I, Jennifer and I met at a emotional intelligence training, but Jennifer, you knew of the show before then. Well, so Meg, I ended up at that program because of one of your shows. And lo and behold, you were sitting in the audience with me. I was so excited because that was the very reason that I came to the program. Well, and that is a wonderful aspect of doing the show that I meet people who are listening to the show and who get value out of that. And several people have actually gone through that emotional intelligence training because of the show that Ed Hennessy did with us. So we are, we've been in touch and I saw a post that you made in LinkedIn on a talk that you had done regarding the gender leadership gap and imposter syndrome. And then that started a conversation between the two of us. And I said, Jennifer, we really need to have you on the show to share this. And you were kind enough to be willing to share your expertise with us. So I know that you wear many hats at work. You're a doc and and you also work with people through a coaching program that you've developed at the hospital. So what is that all about? Well, so you're, first of all, you're right. I wear many hats and I love them all, but all of the hats I wear, I think really do revolve around developing people and helping them to fully find what is most resourceful about themselves. So I am a chair of a department of pathology at the University of Arkansas, where I work full time, but I also run a coaching program for women physicians. And this program revolves around one of my very favorite topics, and that is imposter syndrome. You have a special title that you give imposter syndrome, and and what is Dr. Hunt's title for imposter syndrome? Oh, yes, because I do hate the term imposter syndrome. My title is self-underappreciation syndrome. Unfortunately, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. So I'm not sure it'll take hold, but the intent is the most important thing. And it's very descriptive. So how did it all begin? Well, it began with me working with women physicians and coaching them and quickly discovering that these amazing, high energy, intense, excellent, talented women all Mm. over the country were suffering from incapacitating imposter syndrome, self-doubt, and lack of self-confidence inside. The most amazing thing is that nobody else knows it. They hide it incredibly well. But I can imagine that takes a ton. Yes, we hide it incredibly well. Yet that takes a ton of energy. It does. It's a zapper. It's one of those things that just in the background runs constantly like a piece of equipment or or an appliance that's zapping all this energy out of the system and you don't even know it's there. Right. And so that's where the program came from. So in the program that what is the the intention to raise awareness, to give tools to cope? I mean, what are some of the hopeful takeaways from the program? 
So I would say that the program has two intentions. One is a personal intention for each participant to walk away with tools and skills that can really help them to better handle the stresses and the challenges of their everyday professional life. And this happens for sure. The second secret intention, the bigger one, the one that's kind of lifelong for me, is to increase the number of women in leadership in medicine and in other professions as well. Because I do believe that imposter syndrome is holding women back from achieving their highest potential. Well, and we talked about the fact that many times imposter syndrome, while men certainly can struggle with imposter syndrome, it's women and minority populations that really struggle. Absolutely. There's no question that men can suffer from imposter syndrome as well, but the statistics and the data out there suggest that it's much more prevalent in women and that it's holding them back. And that's probably one of the most important things. The data and statistics are equally true for minorities, holding them back from achieving what they need to achieve in their lives. So with that, what we thought would be helpful is if we shared with the audience the five dysfunctions that you share with your participants around the imposter syndrome and some tips for breaking that dysfunction, for turning the dysfunction into more functional. And I'm ready to get after that unless there is anything that you wanted to share before we did our dive into the five dysfunctions. Well, let's dive in. All right. So Jennifer, what have you identified as the first dysfunction of imposter syndrome? So the first dysfunction that we tackle in imposter syndrome is the fact that women with imposter tendencies tend to internalize emotions as truth. It really is around emotional self-awareness and emotional self-regulation. And this is a big one. Um, We see it every single day in the ways that, that women with imposter syndrome confront challenges. And this is a big one for them. So when we, and so this is, you know, resonates with me because I teach cognitive coaching and part of cognitive coaching, one of the dysfunctions or the uh, irrational thought systems that we can do is emotional reasoning. If we, if I feel it, it must be true. If it, and that's what you experience there. So when you are helping your program participants deal with this emotional turmoil that makes everything feel real. What are some of the tools that you give to them or suggest to make it past that hump? So we do practice first and foremost, labeling. One of the most important things that they practice and learn is to just put a name on an emotion other than anger or something generic. So we really do dive into that. What is the root of the emotion? Where is it truly coming from? in order to start putting it in its place and right-sizing it for the, for the circumstances. In terms of tools, the two big tools that we practice and learn early on in the program are centering and grounding, which one of your past participants talked about. So I'm absolutely, excited about that too. The, Yes, absolutely. We just had a show recently about that. I was just listening to it and I thought, wonderful. So centering and grounding is a really critical skill and tool to learn for our high intensity settings. You can imagine that some of these women are in the emergency room. 
they're in a critical operations and emotions don't always have a name or a place. So centering and grounding can be a really important tool that they learn. The second important tool that they learn, and you've probably looked at this and heard about this, is power posing from Amy Cuddy's work. And this is a great one. It's a lot of fun and it's really important because it turns out that the way we hold our bodies can contribute to and change the way our emotional states come out. And we work on that a lot as well. So here you're working with these high-powered women and you're giving them these tools. How receptive do they tend to be to these tools? Well, let's see. That's a great question. At first, um, they're all receptive, but somewhat skeptical, I will say. At first, they kind of look at me and say, you want me to power pose? You want me to look like superwoman before I start a high-intensity meeting? And I say, yes, just pretend that you can do it and let's see what happens. And they are very skeptical at first, but after practicing it a couple of times, they say, oh, I see. It totally does change the way I sit in the meeting. Oh, that's so good. That's, that's awesome. So what is then the second dysfunction that comes along with imposter syndrome? So the second dysfunction is one of the ones that we spend the most time on. And that is a humongous, gigantic, six six foot tall, supersized inner critic. In imposter syndrome, it's like the bomb how big the inner critic is. So when you identify the six foot tall, massive inner critic, how do you help your participants deal with massive, supersized you know, voice that's probably interfering with most everything they do. You know, that's funny you said that. One of the participants in one of the recent cohorts said, I can't believe how much my inner critic is present in absolutely every moment of every day, every day. And so I think one of the things that we start with, which is really important for, for everybody, is to label it, again, like the emotions, label the inner critic, starting to notice it, starting to hear it, What I ask them to do is not let it be in the background whispering, but make it come to the foreground and speak to your face so that we start to hear the voice for what it is and hear how often that inner critic voice is is just on autoplay in the background of our minds. So that alone is transformative to start labeling it, hearing it, noticing it. And identifying it. So I would often say to my clients, particularly when I was a therapist, it's when we try to push things down, ignore them, put them in the closet, lock the door, that they are more powerful than if we throw that closet door open, turn on the light and start inventorying what's in there. Let's pay attention to what's in there. Let's name it. Let's identify it. Let's take away its power. Because when it is hiding behind that dark locked door is when it can really be just wreaking havoc on our lives. Absolutely. I love this phrase. What we resist persists. Absolutely. So we've got this critic and I'm wondering what experiences your participants have or these doctors that you work with have had as they have identified, labeled, named their critic. What are you hearing as impact when we're now identifying and labeling our emotions, we're identifying and labeling our critic? What kinds of responses are they getting to that in response to their imposter syndrome? Well, so interestingly, I think labeling it is probably not quite enough. They also need to then attack and reframe it. 
So once they start to learn to label it, notice it, and reframe it, they start to notice changes in the outcomes that they're seeing in their lives. They start to notice that they take on new challenges. I had one woman that just had such an amazing quote at the end of the session. I'll tell you what it was. It was so interesting. She said, I got the opportunity to lead something in my department and I took it and I was really scared. And then she said, wait, let me rephrase that. I asked for the opportunity to lead this. Oh, and that was the powerful moment. Exactly. Just a small tweak, but what a powerful tweak. Yeah. And she admitted she would have never done that before. She would have let the opportunity pass her by because her inner critic would have said, you're not good enough. You don't have enough experience. There's better people than you. You'll fail. And she was able to put that inner critic in its place and right size it and, and fight raise it. her hand and say, I put myself up for this. And yeah, it might still be scary. And yet it also gives us the opportunity to put our best foot forward and see what happens. So one of the things as we move through this, Jennifer, I really want the audience to hear and to digest is that imposter syndrome can hit any of us at any time. It's these women that you're working with are, as we mentioned, they're educated. They are, they've made it through med school and probably residencies and different things. And, and they are, maybe they're in their residencies, but still they are bright and they are probably even used to being at the top of their class when they were in high school. And when they, I mean, they are used to being successful, yet it doesn't compute. And this is really the problem with imposter syndrome is that the external world and all metrics, all measurements point to this person being exceptional at the top of their game. And yet on the inside, she can't feel that way. And that is the problem. That is the self underappreciation part of imposter syndrome. And yes, of course, you're right. It can affect anybody, but it is much more prevalent in high achieving people, mm. people who are at the top of their game. Um, Which is so ironic. Questioning it, right. Even though they're questioning it. So I just want the audience to hear that because I know that I have many listeners who are in that place of, well, who am I to ask this person to be my client? Or who am I to put myself up for this speaking engagement? Or to, you know, often I hear, well, how am I supposed to go after that piece of business? So it's, it actually might mean that you're high achieving if you're if you're really struggling with imposter syndrome. And I, I just think that that's important for people to hear and also to normalize it. Because when we feel like, well, I must be the only one who feels this way, it can feel really isolating and embarrassing. And yet you're here saying, you know what, I work with people who struggle with this all the time, who are very, society says, successful and high achieving. And I'll tell you what, I can't tell you what percentage it's very high of the people in my program say, I thought I was the only one. I can't believe I'm looking around at this group full of women who are amazing and high achieving and you feel it too. They can't even believe it. Oh, so good. Okay. So we have looked at imposter syndrome one, two, and now we're at 
three. What is the third dysfunction? So the third dysfunction is what I call showing up to life as an avatar. Now, an avatar is a little persona, you know, in computer land, it's that little icon that you use that you make up that represents you. Mm -hmm. And imposter syndrome in imposter syndrome, we kind of make up a little avatar that represents us. The avatars were, they, they weren't called this, but I pulled them from original work back in the 70s and 80s on imposter syndrome. Valerie Young is one of the authors that identifies them. And there were five. There is perfectionism, superwoman, expert, rugged individualist, and natural genius. I added number six through my work with the women that I work with, and that is Sloppy Joe. And the reason I added it, and it's not actually the avatar, it's the anti-avatar. Because what this is, I find over and over again, is when a woman has this avatar of, say, perfectionism and can't achieve it, we often go all the way to the other extreme and give up and do nothing. And that would be called sloppy Joe. So that's the anti-avatar, which we fall into when we have unfulfilled perfectionism or unfulfilled expertise. So when we're thinking about the avatar, it's the way that we feel like we have to be. So if I'm showing up, then I've got to be perfect or I've got to hit it out of the park every single time. Otherwise, I'm not going to be accepted or I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be good enough. Whatever it is, I'm not going to be good enough. So the avatars represent sort of the roles that we feel like we have to create. That's right. So it's all about how we want to be perceived. Do we want to be perceived as perfect? And if so, we're showing up as that perfectionism avatar to prove our competency and success. But it's really a mask. Mm-hmm. It's a mask. It is. It's that little little computer version of ourselves that matches nothing. And therefore, if we feel like we're wearing a mask, then we're not really going to feel secure and confident and that it's the real us that's showing up. That's absolutely right. Okay. All right. So go ahead and recap number one, two, and three for me before we move on to number four. Okay. So number one, internalizing emotions is truth. Number two, giant six foot tall inner critic. Number three, showing up to life as an avatar. And number four. Number four is using unresourceful approaches to risk taking and challenges. In imposter syndrome, I find over and over again that people have an incredible fear of failure. And obviously they are high achieving people who have rarely failed. So it really becomes a pervasive driver for their actions. They don't show up to challenges with enthusiasm. They show up with fear. And that can be a real delimitator for people. So what do you recommend that people do to counter that fear that they're showing up under? So one of the main processes that we work with is reframing fear of failure or actually reframing failure. And looking at failure as a different thing for themselves than, than an outcome, rather looking at it as a step in a process. I like to have people really reframe failure as an opportunity to gather data or an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. I have this t-shirt that I saw at one of my son's basketball games and this t-shirt was worn by a mom. It said, my son never loses. He either wins or he learns. Oh, I love that. It's great, isn't it? And that's what we talk about. I never fail. I either succeed or I learn. And with that, every 
every chance we take, every experiment we do, every action is going to give us some kind of data. And if we can open up our perspective enough to accept that that's going to give us some data, some learning that we can apply to our next move, then that is so incredibly powerful. Absolutely. I want to circle back around to number three, because I'm not positive that we did enough in the tips to counter the avatar. So I realized that we got kind of caught up in the avatar, but we didn't necessarily talk about if we're feeling like we're showing up with a mask, we're showing up as an avatar, what are some things that we can do to counter that? Oh, that's great. And we really didn't tackle that. So I'd love to talk about it a little bit. So two things I think we can do. Number one is a very simple thing, and that is to take the avatar reaction away from habit and more towards choice. And I do that a lot with the imposter tendencies overall, because we tend to just react in imposter syndrome rather than choosing our action. So the very first thing we do is a very simple tool, which is just what I call embedding a choice point. And that is embedding a choice point. Yeah. Embedding a choice point. And that means saying to yourself, is this my avatar or is this my choice? And you may still choose perfectionism, but you've chosen it. And that's a very different outcome and scenario than just letting it happen and having it be on autopilot as a habit. Oh, I love that. So it's it's really making that conscious choice. Absolutely. So much more empowering. Yeah. And that you have the choice to do that, but it is a choice versus you sort of being sucked in the stream of life and stuck or stuck in the stream of perfectionism and not feeling like it's your choice at all. That's right. And what I find over and over again with women with imposter syndrome is they can't differentiate what deserves their perfectionism and what doesn't. And so really coming at it with, does this meeting agenda deserve my perfect work? Or is this a 70% job? Right. And making the choice. Is a B minus enough for this? Yes, absolutely. Good, good. Anything else that I had skipped over about dealing with our avatar? Well, the only other thing that we work really hard on, and this is, it's probably way too much for that we, than what we can cover today is really digging deep into the underlying assumptions behind our avatar. Mm -hmm. And that's hard work. That's hard, personal, deep, difficult work. That is a tough part of the program where they really need to um, dig in and say, okay, what is it that I want to be perceived as and why? Yeah. So those belief systems and the way that they impact the way we show up and and the standards we hold ourselves to are key. But as you said, that's deep work and but very much a part of shifting that whole perspective and releasing the need for the imposter syndrome. Absolutely. Good. Okay. And what is number five? So number five is actually one that is not restricted to imposter syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) We see, I see this across the board as I work with medical students and trainees in the hospital and technologists and just about everybody. And that is, but imposter syndrome, it's, it's really a big problem. And that is having a destructive pattern of processing feedback. And I'm going to say it is not just criticism. There are many people who have a hard time processing praise as yes. well. So we actually work on both in the program. And I have to say about half of the women 
hate praise more than they hate criticism, believe it or not. Or they're uncomfortable to receive it. Yeah, wow, isn't that it. interesting? So how do you help them with their feedback acceptance? So there's a, a great book called Thanks for the Feedback, which I really like. And I, I love the model because it's what they talk about in the book is a feedback metabolism curve. And it's very academic, but the bottom line is that there are ways that you can work on your your ability to absorb feedback, whether it's being nourished and guided by positive or learning and growing from criticism, either way. And the curve itself, you have opportunities to work in all of the different areas. That could include baseline happiness. It can include how high you go from positive, how low you go from negative, and how long it lasts. And so we can work on all of those areas. And actually, we do have tools and and strategies for all of them. Wow. So how long is this program that you you take your participants through? So it's an eight-week program, and we meet for an hour and a half each week. But they also do a lot of homework between. So they have assignments and they have field work and skill builders so that they're constantly working with the tools and perfecting them and, and able to incorporate them into their lives. And what are the graduates of your program saying? Oh, it's so fun to go back and hear from people. I just got an email a couple of weeks ago from somebody who said, I use the lessons every day. It's made me a better doctor a better leader, a better wife, and a better mother. And so what I find is that people, it crosses over all areas of their lives. I am out for making more leaders who are women in medicine, and it turns out it's affecting every aspect of their lives. So it's pretty amazing. That is amazing. And I would counter that to say that when we're more balanced across life, I think we're more able to step into those leadership roles and and maybe even push our way into some of those leadership roles, which might be what, you know, we as women have to do is is getting ourselves in front of the people who make those kinds of decisions and letting them know about our interest and, and our credentials and our qualifications for that. Definitely. So that's ultimately what we want is for women to be able to stand up and say yes when they're asked. That's right. Absolutely. So Jennifer, as we are wrapping up our time together, would you mind just doing another recap of your five dysfunctions of imposter syndrome? Sure. So first, we internalize emotions as truth. Second, we have a six foot tall, supersized inner critic. Third, we show up to life as an avatar. Fourth, we use unresourceful approaches to risk taking and failure. And five, we have destructive patterns of processing, praise, and criticism. So I'm willing to bet that each of you listening identifies with at least one of those dysfunctions. And Jennifer gave such great tips on how to counter that and how to begin to identify and take the power out of whatever that dysfunction is by making a conscientious decision to do something about it. Jennifer, what have I left on the table that we want to be sure that we include, if anything? Oh, I think we've covered a lot of it, Meg. This has been really great. I so appreciate you taking time. It sounds like your program is absolutely amazing. The women there are so lucky to be able to access that with you. And I feel so lucky that you brought your expertise to us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meg. It's been such a pleasure.
So there you go. I wonder how many of those dysfunctions you could see yourself in and how many of those tips you can apply to your presentation, the way that you engage to release some of that imposter syndrome. I want to thank Dr. Jennifer Hunt again for joining us. If in fact you struggle with imposter syndrome, showing up the way that you want to in your practice, consider working with a coach. If in fact you want to explore working with me, never hesitate to reach out at meg at afocusonresults.com. Be sure to come back next week. We'll have our Thanksgiving show to focus on things that we're grateful for. And we've got some phenomenal shows coming up in December. If you're enjoying the show, I would be grateful if you would leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. The more rates and reviews we get, the more people find the show. Until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.